The glory of God. Why did God create the world? Why did God create Israel? Why did God create you and me? Why did He do that? Well, it's for His glory. I created for my glory. If it was not only Israel, we we know He says that in that context if we just thin it down to that. But He created, He formed, He made, and that points all the way back to the original act of creation. And uh, so... The reason why Israel ultimately exists is because of the glory of God. The reason the church exists is because of the glory of God. That's the ultimate. So, when we think about this glorious God in creation, then we also have to think about in Genesis 1 where he said that he created man in his own image. I ought to get one excited about that because he made us to get on a level where we could understand some things about Him. He could have been so transcendent that He never communicated with us. He could be so far, and He is that far. He is transcendent. But yet He gets on our level and gives words to us so that we can understand who He is. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that great? So uh, this image in Genesis 1.27, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Genesis 1.27. What's the point here? Well, the point of an image is that they display the original. An image is not the substance When you see something on TV, you see somebody acting on there, or you see baseball players in a baseball game, you're seeing really an image. It's a picture. It's not really them, is it? Although they are actually doing that, but it's just an image. What that image is doing is displaying, showing what that original looks like. So, we were made in His image. Do you know that we are images of God and we are like reflectors of God right here on earth. Matter of fact, not only that, it's like there are 7 billion statues of God all over this world. 7 billion people. Whether they know it or not, admit it or not, most don't. Few there be to find it. But most are actually images of God. Given a little picture of who He is. Knowing God is part of uh, the glory of God. Savoring God or loving Him is another part of glorifying God. And not only that, but showing God. So, you know, we want to show God, don't we? Right? But it's not only humans that actually show God's glory. Nature shows God's glory. How breathtaking it is to live in this universe. Why do we have such a vast universe? Have you have you seen it? <laughs> of course you have. And there have been some things going on lately. So I think just the other night uh, in the sky. Another thing that was just incredible. Um, now, I've heard this. I can't verify it. I've, I've, I've read it. I've heard it. That there are more stars in the universe than there are words that have come out of human mouths since the history of man. All the words that I've even said, you said all your life, and going back thousands of years of mankind, 
And there are more stars than that. As people have spoken words. If that be true, that's incredible. But we know that um, there are many stars there. Well, Bible, I think, is very clear on this, that the heavens declare the glory of God. They put on display the very glory of God. That's right out of Psalm 19.1. Somebody might ask you this. Well, if the earth is really the only inhabited planet, we know we get it out of, in the uh, secular world and news and such and shows. They try to jam it right down your throat, even in movies. That there are other planets out there that might have people, might have life, might have some kind of existence. They might uh, actually be uh, people or aliens, they like to call them. And so they might ask, if the earth is the only inhabited planet, and man is the only rational inhabitant among the stars, why is there such a large and empty universe? Why is there such a large space? Well, the fact of the matter is, it's not about us, is it? It's not about us at all. It's about God. And I think that's an understatement. God created the universe for us to know Him, to savor Him, and then to be able to show it. That's part of the glory of God. He gave us a hint of what He is like when we look at the universe. How vast it is. And you go, wow. Of course, you've seen the the uh, videos, the Louis Giglio and all the other ones that are out there. They're just incredible, you know. And you start looking at the vast universe and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. All of a sudden they show Earth and it looks like, a, uh, at best, a little tiny, tiny dot, you know. And then you are just a little, 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 little dot. <laughs> I mean, and how small you seem in this vast, big universe. And when you look at that, that's, that's how infinite God is. You get a picture. You get a picture of God in this universe. Psalm 19.1, the universe is declaring the glory of God. The reason we exist is to see it and be stunned by it. I mean, to be amazed, to marvel, to be taken aback. Are you stunned by what He has done. I mean, this glory is amazing. Look in Romans 1, chapter 1 and verse 20. Romans 1, 20 through 23. A little bit about the glory of God here. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, who He is about, the character and nature, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. You say, well, I haven't seen those. Yeah, 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 you have. Because the next sentence, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. We can see some of His attributes, His nature, the invisible attributes, the very character of God. Now, that's through uh, natural revelation. That's limited. We have the written Word of God which is very specific of who He is. That's even better, but aren't you glad you have a natural revelation that you can see, a glimpse, you go, wow, there's nothing that can come close to this. God puts the thunderbolts up there and you get lightning. Can man duplicate that? We can have some great big booms and such and fireworks, but there's nothing like the electricity that He can put in the air. 
That's just a glimpse. Verse 21, Even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And here we go. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures and everything else that we can imagine what we like to have God to be. To bring Him down to our level, we've become into idolatry when we do that. When we take Him for what He is not or add things to Him that He is is not. Um, but they exchanged this glory of God for the glory of man and in anything that's less than man. The image of man they made and such. It's hard to imagine, but that's what happens. They take that glory and, and trade it for something else. Remember I said in Isaiah chapter forty three, verse seven, where he said, I created it for I created Israel for my glory. My glory. It's mine. Nobody else can have it. It's my glory. That's what he's saying. Now, to help us feel that, to really feel this statement about His glory, to make it a part of the very fabric of our lives, to make it really real to us, let's go to the written Word of God. Go to Isaiah. Boy, from chapter 40 through 44, you get a big picture of who this God is. But in Isaiah 40. Verse 4 and 5, Let every valley be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then, look at this, the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He's ultimately going to bring forth all this glory. Amazing thing to see. Chapter 42, verse 8. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. It's all mine. Mine, mine, mine. That's what God says. And if somebody doesn't know the nature of God, they would start getting offended at this. Wow. He is uh, very selfish, isn't he? He wants everything for himself. That's right, he does. That's the kind of God we have. Because if it goes anywhere else, then we've lost something. It can't go anywhere else. God is a jealous God. Uh, well, and, and we'll answer that, that question in, in a moment here because people do have that question quite frequently. Um, 44.23 Shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and in Israel He shows forth His glory. There we go. There we go again. That we were just dealing with with that thought. He shows forth His glory. Well, He showed it through the nation of Israel. That specifically. That narrow, but he shows it forth through all his people. Keep going. Chapter 48, 
9 through 11. For the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. The reason he's not bringing his total wrath right now is for the sake of his name. And for my praise, I restrain it for you in order not to cut you off. Behold, I refined you, but not a silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And here we go. For my own sake, for my own sake, he says it again, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. That's the one true God. No glory anywhere else. You can only believe in this one God, this Yahweh, or this Jehovah God, this God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. He's the only way, right? There are no other gods. All through Isaiah 40 through 44, he makes that very clear. Um, in chapter 49, verse 3, this is God the Father speaking to the Son. He said to me, You are my servant. Israel, in whom I will show my glory. And of course, there, the, there's the sense of Israel. Of course, the ultimate is his servant, that being um, the Messiah himself. Of course, he used the nation of Israel, but in this case here, he's talking about his holy servant. Now, you see, holy servant, we were in Acts chapter 4 last week on Wednesday night. Two times in that chapter he mentioned the holy servant. He's not the slave. We are the slaves of God, but he was the servant, the ambassador representing God. And here he says that is whom he ultimately shows his glory through. The person of Christ. This is how we can experience and see and taste this glory. What does it mean for us to glorify Him? How many times do we hear that all the time? Let's glorify the, the Lord and say, What? What do I do? I, I want to do that. What does it mean? Does it mean singing? You know, okay, I'll do that. I'll glorify God. Well, when God created the world, you've got to remember too, He didn't create it because He needed something else. Right? It wasn't that, Oh, my kind of lonely. I'm getting kind of bored. I need to do something else. He can't do that because everything is perfect for Him. It's always been that way from eternity to eternity. And He he has no weakness. He has no need, no deficiency whatsoever. And it's like a fountain that's just blowing out water, just constantly, just flowing water and water. And Jonathan Edwards says there's no argument of the emptiness or deficiency of a fountain that is inclined to overflow. You like those big words? A fountain that's continually overflowing. You can't say it has a need for water because it's just overflowing. That's the way God is. He's always overflowing. So we don't glorify God by improving Him. He doesn't need anything extra. We don't improve Him at all. But we do glorify Him by seeing Him. By seeing Him spiritually. And by savoring Him. Loving Him. And then by showing His glory. In Philippians 1.20... According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ will even now 
as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Whether I live, whether I die. I'm going to magnify, exalt, magnify. Um, that's what you see here in this Philippians passage. We magnify His glory like a telescope. Not a microscope, but like a telescope. And so what's the difference? What do you mean? Well, a microscope makes small things to come up and look bigger than they are. Where you can see them, right? And they do a great job. But a telescope, what it does, and goes out and sees this unimaginable big things, much bigger than our planet, much bigger than our sun, right? And brings it out the way that it needs to be seen as much as it can, right? Without that telescope, you can't see that. Our lives are to be telescopes. You get the idea? A telescope for the glory of God. That He would be seen for who He is. How big He is. We were created to see His glory. Are you thrilled by that? You know, Memorial Day weekend, a lot of things going on, air shows, and really great, amazing things going on, happening, you know, and it's a good weekend to remember and remember the people that fought their lives, gave their lives up for us. We must be thinking of that and and however way that you do, and be praying for the soldiers that are doing that even now. But um, we are to live as to help others see this magnificent glory that people are missing. We're here to call them to love Him, savor Him, and, and to see this glory. Okay, then the next question is, is, well, why did God create this world that sins? If it's such a glorious universe, we have a very sinful world. I'm ashamed of this world. I'm ashamed of this nation. I'm ashamed of this city. I'm ashamed of the things that I, go, I see going around me. Why would God do that when He makes a glorious beginning? Everything was perfect. There was no sin. And it was just absolutely the way that you'd want it. And then the horrible fall came. Why would God make something like this? And then the history of Israel. And we see how they stumbled and fell. And then we see the coming of the Son of God into this world. And then we see that He has a substitutionary death where He takes the place of us. And you have a triumphant resurrection. And then you have the birth of the church and the history of the church and then the history of the world paralleling all along. Why this world? Why did He create this this history that we have? He's providential. He's sovereign. He could have stopped all that. Why do we have this? Thousands of years of human history with a glorious beginning and then you have this sinful place that we have. It's tainted by sin, but you look out there today and you see the beautiful sunshine. We had the beautiful rain yesterday to make everything green. It's just fantastic, isn't it? But you know, you can say, yeah, but... um, this world is sinful. Even though as beautiful as it is, what could it really be like, right? We think about this. Why this history? Well, it was for this reason. That the glory of God would be displayed supremely in the death of Jesus Christ. 
That is why He created this world before the foundation of the world. He knew that there would be sin. He could have stopped it from being there. I'm not going to give you the answer of why we have sin. I could give you some reasons, but it wouldn't be the ultimate reason, I'm sure. Uh, You have to dig deep into the Word of God for that. Uh, And uh, that's not exactly where we're going. And you might now the question is going to be running around in your brain. Yeah, why is there sin? But I'm not really headed that way this morning. The glory of God's grace would be supremely displayed in the sacrifice of the Son of God. That is where we get the best display of the glory of God that we can see. Christ on the cross. It's the grace that's there, folks. That's what He wanted to put on display. Why did He create the world? Because He wanted to show His grace. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you guys sitting out there, for people who trust in Christ, right? That are His. That they would, be glor- that they would glorify Him throughout all the rest of eternity, starting at the very moment of salvation and on into eternity, that they would glorify Him in a way that grace would be revealed in the saving work of Jesus. Otherwise, we could not even begin to understand grace, which means you are getting something you do not deserve at all. Totally unmerited. There are no works whatsoever that we can do to please this holy God. Now, that's part one. Let's go to part two. The glory of God at the cross. And that's what has just been leading us here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. He predestined us. He predetermined us to adoption. To be adopted. To be brought into the family of God. God is a holy God. The triune God is absolutely holy. And He takes us, adopts us, and gives us all the benefits and the rights that the Son has. It says that in Romans 8. (laughs) Wow. As sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of my free will. I wouldn't have come up with that. No, it was the kind intention. It was kind of Him to do that, but it was His will. He intended to do it. Why? To the praise of the glory of His grace. The glory of His grace. Hey, can we all say that? Let it stick in the head. The glory of His grace. Have you experienced the glory of His grace? Is that grace becoming bigger to you each day? Think about what you deserve and that you were headed on the way to hell and His grace saves you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's no works. He plans the works for us afterwards and that He planned before the foundation of the world. But I want to tell you, Grace has everything to do with Him, which He freely bestowed us in the Beloved, in Christ. He freely gives grace. All those words are unmerited. Free. You like free things? Well, this thing you couldn't buy. Grace. 
freely. Wow, to the praise, to the praise. Ephesians 2, 7. I just heard Bob say, rich. So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you realize what you have? You are loaded for eternity flowing from the fountain that will never go dry. Totally blessed, bestowed in Christ this grace. This is at the apex, at the very major mountaintop of all things. This is why He created everything in the world, in the universe, the high point, the revelation of God's glory and His grace. The aim of predestination is that we live to the praise of the glory of His grace forever. That's what the verse said. I didn't make it up. It's just there. He said, yeah, you're really pushing it again. You, you were on Ephesians last week. Somehow I work it in. Sovereign of God. What do you think? See, this is the danger of picking out topics that I don't ordinarily do, and I've been taking a few weeks just picking out something that I think that I want to do, but something that can be good for the church to edify. But whenever I'm verse by verse, then I'm I'm bound to go with where that is. And sometimes you can see the danger. I could pick out anything and then I could go with that, and I could make it say what I wanted eventually. And I don't want to do that. That's why I, I'm very careful. I let the the book that we're in dictate where we're going to be and what we're talking about. So I might use not use these terms and terminology in these verses for weeks or months or maybe a year. Who knows? It's just where we happen to be at. But you can see that I think it's okay as long as we keep using these verses to talk about the glory of God. <laughs> and I'm not going to try to make them say something they're not, but it's one of the best things that we can ever imagine. Did you know, this is the end point of all His glory to show off His grace. We've seen that there in Ephesians. Do you know even God's wrath even points to that? It even serves that? In Romans nine twenty two and 23. This is staggering. I didn't write it. I, did, I am not... Uh, I'm going to try to cover up. It just here's what it is. Romans 9:22. What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath, to put it on display, and to make His power known, endured with much patience, very patient God, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and then, and He did so. To make known, here we go. I'm just trying to stay with our topic. The riches of His glory. Part of that wrath there helps make known the riches of His glory. Humanly, that's difficult to say. He did so to make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy, that's us, which He prepared beforehand for glory 
Do you know how often this word pops up and we just take it for granted? Sometimes I read it and boom, go around through there's that word glory. That's amazing. That the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy, He's demonstrating His grace on us. We show that forth. That's all because of what happened at the cross. This is the ultimate. Grace is the summit of the mountain of glory. Grace is it. We've hit the top. We've hit the peak. It's what it's all about. The grace of uh, the glory. The glory of His grace. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy 1, 9. Talking about the power of God. The gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and what? Grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from when? From all eternity. There is a point when He calls us, but this goes back before our calling. What kind of grace is this, guys? This is an eternal grace that goes back before we were even here. Before we could even say yes. We say yes. But as R.C. always says, R.C. Sproul says, why did we say yes? Because He got us to that point. He saved us from all eternity. Yes, but there is a time and it happens. But the grace, His own purpose and grace which was given us, granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. He's talking about grace. What's He magnifying there? Grace. Grace, we saw it in Ephesians. We saw it here in Timothy. We've seen it in Romans. We've seen it so many places. So before the ages of time began, the plan for the revelation of the glory of the grace of God was specifically done in the eternal fellowship of the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as somehow they met together and caused God's grace to be supremely revealed through the Son. Boy, the saving work of Christ is incredible. Are you Are you amazed? Are you stunned by the grace of God? Getting a glimpse? How blessed are we? Revelation 5, 3. There you have the saints giving great praise, giving great glory to God. In verse 3 it says, And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Nobody could. Nobody was worthy to open up the book. In verse 9 it says this, And they sang a new song, saying, this is the prayers of the saints, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. Here we go. For you were slain. Right on into eternity, folks, we're going to be talking about what Christ did. That death that he had the slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation we can say worthy is he because he was the one slain and we were purchased we were bought we were paid with a price there was a ransom out for us and he paid it and he paid it all all to Him we owe. 
Wow. You were slain. Ransomed millions will be saying that. You were slain. You know what? Why did God create the world? It wasn't because He was deficient. He needed something else. He was supremely happy in the fellowship of the triune God. He didn't need anything else, but He decided, and what He wanted was to put His glory on display so that people like us and other people who know Him and people who don't know Him, who will know Him, that they would be able to know Him as they see that glory, to love Him, to savor Him, and then to show Him. You want to show God's glory? That's, you know, it fell into sin. This world did. But the praise of the glory and grace of God is supremely seen over that, isn't it? It extends much further than that sin. So where did sin come from? can't give you that ultimate answer. But I can tell you, if there were never sin, we would never understand grace. That's about all I can say. I'm not going to go any deeper than that. But I can tell you, thank you, Lord. Um, you work out all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. See, this is just raising God. We're just talking about God. Hey, you know, God really likes to hear these things that we're talking about and that we've been singing about this morning and about, about the things we pray about. He loves that. We are worshiping Him if we're paying attention to these words and, and uh, looking at His Word that He wrote. It's really all His. You know, it certainly isn't about me. I'm just a messenger. I am nobody. <laughs> I am I'm a slave. I'm a messenger. I'm just saying, hey, this is what He... And everybody has the Word of God there to be able to read along with it too. And let His Spirit speak because once we go out of here, we should be ready to display that supreme glory of His grace along with redeemed multitude that are hearing hopefully the Word of God and uh, lifting up Jesus Christ today. Now, in Romans 5, 1, Dwayne read that earlier this morning. And when you look at the next verse, after he talks about Therefore, we now have peace with God, right? Doesn't that really set things off? Doesn't that set the tone? We, we are at peace with God. He, he's not angry at us anymore because the sin has been taken away. Verse 2 says, Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Boy, that's good news. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And the hope there is for real. It's more than I'm just hoping. We know This hope here is talking about... We know. We know it. We have been verified that. It's just like you know, you've got a vacation coming up. You have this hope... This is where you're going. You know, you look forward to it. This is even more. Okay, let's go to part three. Moving along. Doing pretty good on time. Well, there's a problem that people have with God self-promoting. And you might have asked yourself this too at one time. Shame on you. (laughs) So what's a question? Well, it bothers people that God would create the world for His praise. 
sounds like he's uh, has a ego problem, self-absorbed, doesn't it? I mean, people have asked me that, and sometimes it's rather hard to come up with an answer. Well, hopefully, we can have an answer here today that that can help us. I've had people in in our fellowship. They're not here anymore, and this is one of the reasons why. And I, I, I guess I'm being blunt. I'm not going to mention any names. And, there, I, and I'm putting it in the plural because it's in the plurality. It bothered them immensely. And they kept asking the question, what kind of God is that that would want all the glory? Was, a lot of times I would say, well, then that means who else gets the glory? We want a little bit, don't we? He's the king. We are the slaves. Oprah Winfrey walked away from Christianity or the church or whatever. I'm not saying she was a Christian and she lost her salvation, but I'm saying she walked away. I'm, I'm definitely not saying she's a Christian because from the things that comes out of her mouth, she does not proclaim that Jesus Christ is the only way, and that's all I need to hear. I don't watch Oprah Winfrey, but I know enough about her, and I'm sure everybody in this room knows about her. But uh, there was a biblical teaching that said that God is a jealous God. And she said this, He demands that He and no one else get our highest allegiance and affection. And she says, that does not sound loving to me. (laughs) That's what she said. That's what she believes. That's sad. She will not see the glory of God unless by God's great mercy and grace comes in and changes that thought, changes a life there. That is blasphemy. Because you look in the Scripture, and she knew what the Bible said. She said I can't accept a God like that. This is idolatry. So she built a God, gods that are comfortable for her. But let's don't pick on Oprah. Let's pick on Brad Pitt. I'm sure we can get a lot of theology out of Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, if you might be surprised, he uh, had a boyhood faith. And he says this. He says, I don't like this God. I can't believe in this God because God says you have to say that I'm the best. It seems to be about his ego. That's what Brad said. He can take a God that demands all the glory. You remember Isaiah? You know that's, that's what he says. There will be no other gods before me. There will be no other glory going anywhere else. It's just me. Now I'll give you one who is in the Christian community. And many people do respect, but before he became a Christian, he was quite the intellect. Wrote a lot of books. This is C.S. Lewis. He complained that God's demand to be praised sounded like, quote, a vain woman who wants compliments. I didn't make it up, sorry. C.S. said that. He later did become a Christian. I think he kind of used the uh, phrase kicking and screaming in the kingdom of God. It's all about praising Him, isn't it? We need that constantly. And you know what? There is no conflict. And I hope this will be helpful now in, in case you ever get this asked to you, and I'm sure you probably have. 
there is no conflict at all between our being happy in God and God's glory. Often you've heard me say this, and I actually take it from John Piper, God is most glorified in you when you are most glorified, or most satisfied, sorry, most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified when you're most satisfied, most content in Him. You can say, what? You mean I really don't even have to start running down the street and shouting praise to God and have my hands up and stopping everybody on the street? You don't even have to do that? No. Are you content in Christ? That's one of the best ways to glorify God. That's how God is most glorified. That's the shortest summary of the pleasure of God's people. How dare you say pleasure? Are we supposed to have pleasure being Christians? Absolutely. God, um, we know, what is the chief end of man? That God be glorified and and we enjoy. Right? Not only is there no conflict between your happiness and God's glory, but His glory shines whenever you're happy. Happy in Christ. That's where His glory shines the most. When you're happy or content or the word is blessed, blessed are or happy are, you know, you think of the... Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount there, the Beatitudes. God is the source of true happiness, the greatest happiness. He's the source. He's the fountain. When your happiness is in Him, whenever He is the greatest treasure, there are things that we can kind of seek for sometimes to kind of make us happy. Seem like I'm missing out on something. So we seek for something to do. You know what? It really doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. It's Him. Now, He can provide things that help that, but it's Him alone who really is uh, making us blessed and happy. You know, by Him showing off His glory and making us satisfied in that where we don't have to see the best latest things that are out there and and to buy them and everything. When we see that He's the most glorious, do you know that that is the most satisfying gift that we could possibly have? It's the kindest, it's the most loving thing that He could possibly do to reveal Himself and magnify Himself for our everlasting enjoyment. What a gift. To enjoy Him. I hope we're enjoying this today. I hope you were looking forward to coming here today and enjoying this God who is in the midst of His people. To enjoy. Because in Psalm 16.11, there's nothing else that's going... You can say, yeah, but you you don't know what I'm going through and what I need. And, you know, uh, let's meet our felt needs. Right, folks? Uh, Let's get the felt needs. No, we're here for the glory of God. If somebody has a need, if it's something that they really, really need, well, we want to help meet that, or what can we do to do that? But in Psalm 1611, it says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is true pleasure. This is true joy. 
Psalm 1611. In His presence is where we find our joy. All those other things and other things that we think we have to have, it's only in Him that we find everlasting true joy. He's exalting, isn't He? And He's going to satisfy us fully and forever. You have the promise. God exalts Himself, draws attention to the one person that needs to be magnified and the one person that can make us fulfilled, that can make us happy. He draws us to Him. And He is not an egomaniac as He does that. It is because He's telling the truth and it's because He is infinitely glorious. He's an all-satisfying God and it's our duty to pursue God's glory. That's what our duty is. To have a quest to really shoot for seeing His joy that He has. Joy. That's the solution to the problem of God's self-exaltation. When people ask that question, they say, I just can't take a God who wants all that glory. And you say, well, I'm glad He has all the glory because, matter of fact, He wants to give you perfect happiness. Are you perfectly happy? Are you perfectly content? I can tell you, if they don't have Jesus Christ, no, they are not. And even Christians sometimes say, no, I'm not content. (laughs) Well, what are you looking for? What are you, blind? Don't you remember? That's what church is about. Sometimes it steers us back and say, gets us right on the right level and say, I know about the glory of God, but we sure need to be reminded. I know we talk about His glory all the time, but you cannot have enough of that because this is what it's all about. I'm going to read you C.S. Lewis's book. He became a Christian later. On the reflection on the Psalms. And it was dealing with this question, why does God demand for our praise it seems so vain of Him? Read you a couple paragraphs. The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. Unless, and says shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. Now, check this out. The world rings with praise. Everybody glorifies something. And a lot of things maybe. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. Now, that probably fits some of us, every one of us into one of those little pockets that we maybe might do or once did. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capricious minds, don't you like those words, praised most the ones who were the balanced people and the humbler people, they were the ones who praised most. But the cranks, the misfits and malcontents praised the least. That's just looking out in the world. That's what he discovered. So if you're not content, you don't praise much of anything. 
But if, you know, you're out taking a walk or whatever, and you, wow, what a beautiful, look at those flowers, you know. And if you're not into flowers, you know, you might see something else, cool house or whatever. We're praising something, right? Since I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Now, this is interesting. When you find out something really cool, and you really, that's the greatest thing since a slice of bread, right? What do you want to do? You want to tell everybody about it. Isn't that the truth? You can't help it. You, you can't fulfill it until you start telling people. I remember whenever I used to get a, uh, an album. <clears throat> remember the albums? <laughs> albums. They're these round things like that. <laughs> spin around. I couldn't wait. I mean, when it was really, really good, I couldn't wait to have somebody over or take it over to their house and let them hear it too. You know? That's natural. That's really what you do. If you really think something is really good, you want to share it with other people. You usually don't hide it. And You know, how about this? Uh, a, a baby just been born. Isn't she lovely? Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Wasn't that just a glorious thing? Don't you think that that was just magnificent? People are talking about that. Not necessarily about God. And then he goes on and says, The psalmist, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards the supremely valuable. What we delight to do. What indeed we can't help doing about everything else we value. That's where it really started striking him, I think. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. When we praise God, it completes the enjoyment. The delight is incomplete until we can express it. We want to express. We are here to put on show His glory. It's a consummation of our very joy. In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so, when He's demanding our praise, tell those people this. Yeah, He's demanding the completion of our pleasures. I bet they never thought of that. When He's demanding praise, He has every right to do it, but I want to tell you, that means you will have the completion of your pleasure. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Matter of fact, that's why God created us and saved us, to make Christ look like what He really is telescope supremely great the ultimate there's nothing else in my life I need I just need him whatever else he gives me that's fine I'm not going to force those other things because if there's a certain gift or certain thing that I have I want to be in his will but he will give that whatever that is Paul said for me to live is Christ to magnify Christ, to telescope Him at the Christ, at the cross, Christ is there upholding His glory, and He provides our forgiveness. Can you imagine that? He vindicates His honor, magnifies His worth, satisfies our soul. And so, when you think of that, it's all about Him. And I'm going to finish this off. All things change when we become Christians. 
We are new creatures. And as you develop in Christ, and as you learn like this thing about God's glory and Him satisfying us and the completion of our pleasure, everything else starts being put into perspective. And we can say, oh, woe is me, and boy, things in this life are just rotten. And we can just downplay. You know what? You have a fight. You have a fight, the good fight of faith. And that's how we can glorify God when you're fighting. Whatever it is in your life that you're having to fight, you have to fight for joy. You know that? You can say, I can walk out of here right now. I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go. Glory to God and everything. And, and, you know, within ten minutes, I mean, you start deflating. I hope not. But it sure can, can it? You have to fight for that. You have to fight to be able to see. You have to fight to be able to savor. You have to fight to be able to, to show that He is the most precious thing in all the world. That He's supremely valuable and there's nothing else more important than Him. When people try to take us away from His importance, another God is trying to take over. And there's where idolatry come in. We are to defeat evil another way. Evil is a suicide. You know what evil is? It's really empty wells. The empty wells of the world that look so good and they have nothing in them. Absolutely dry. And we go to drink from the well and we think this is where you go. And yet there are living waters in the fellowship of God. The stream is there. The fountain is flowing. And why do we go to those wells? Turn to Psalm 36, 8. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. Are you drinking from the river of His delights? He gives us an abundance when we drink out of His house. Look in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Flip side. Two thirteen Jeremiah. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters. What did they do? To hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. The fountain of living waters. We we have to defeat that evil. We have to defeat the sin that is trying to take us. And that comes to the battle with self, the money, the fame, the comfort, the security, the pleasures of the world. And there is the fountain. Deny yourself the wealth of the world so you can live for having the wealth of being with Christ. Deny yourself the fame of the world to have the joy of God's approval. Deny yourself. Remember when Jesus said, deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. Deny yourself the security, the safety, the comfort of the world for a secure fellowship with Jesus. 
Deny yourself the short, unsatisfying pleasures of the world that you can have fullness and joy and pleasures forevermore. Remember what Moses did? He denied the pleasures of the world and sought for Christ and he was considered to be one of faith. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And to complete this up, corporate worship. This is what corporate worship is about. This is what we come here for. It's the collective act of bringing our praises and glorifying God together to to multiply, to magnify. We do this together. Waving my arms around and throwing mics around and stuff. (laughs) Have a glorious sound here in a moment. (laughs) Are we satisfied in Christ? The worship, the worship, the worship leaders, musicians, preachers, everybody that's all involved, all of us reading Scripture, we really see our task, above all, primarily, to open the fountain of living water, to open that up, and to spread the feast of all the riches that are along with that. To spread it out for all to eat and drink, to not only taste, but consume and enjoy that. Don't you love a feast? We have a feast coming up tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon. Working this right into the message. <laughs> you guys know about that. We'll talk about that later. But Don't you like those feasts? Feast of rich food. What a spread! That is what we want to do when we come here to worship Sundays, Wednesdays. To spread it out. There, eat it. Partake of it. Take it all in. The task of the worshipers is to do that, to drink and eat. And say a satisfied, are we satisfied? Mm. Because God is most glorified in those worshipers when they're most satisfied in Him. He is pleased if you've been satisfied when we've read these Scriptures today and you've taken them to heart. And what this does, it leads us then to want to do ministry. That means to work for others for their joy. Ministry. That's why pastors do what they do. That's why worship leaders do what they do. It's why people who serve in the church and whatever they do, do what they do. We're all workers together. It's for the joy that we have in God. Because God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in Him. And I close with these questions. Is the glory of grace the sweetest news to your guilty soul? Is the glory of Christ in your life the present, personal embodiment of the grace of God? And lastly, is the glory of the cross the saddest and the happiest beauty to your redeemed soul? Let's pray.